3: Happy Tuesday. I'm Michelle Miao, your host, and uh, Tuesdays are normally my favorite days, but today it's kind of a gloomy Tuesday. It's gloomy because John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is not here with us today. It's kind of quiet in the studio without him, Uh, but he had an emergency situation, some radio towers falling down. I don't know what it was, but he texted me at six in the morning. (sighs) People texting you at six in the morning. <laughs> it's a good thing I was awake. Um, Kenny, I think you should put your uh, mic on since com- uh, Commonwealth, since John isn't here with us today. Good morning. So I heard you were calling our guest, our special guest today, and uh, you're struggling a little bit. So what was last night? What uh, did you do?
1: I just was just in a food coma. We had really good food last night. <laughs>
3: <We're> and <laughs> it just
1: struck me so fast. I just fell asleep for pretty long time
3: (laughs) oh my gosh where did you go
1: uh we were in Milipitas. uh uh uh, you ever heard of kicking crabs yes oh yeah
3: oh that of course that's food coma it's like butter and yeah it's laced with like crack butter
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i was a first timer and uh i went really hard last night
3: (laughs) oh i bet you were like sucking on those crab legs and yeah well i'm glad that that's the case and not something else. Oh, uh, no. uh, you know, I don't know what 23-year-olds what do these days, but <laughs> I'm pretty sure that it's, uh, it's not sucking too much on some kicking crab legs and falling asleep. So no. I'm glad you're okay. Well, get some more rest. You're probably going to sleep for days after eating oh, yeah. all that butter. Um, let's get today's program started. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. There's this ongoing conversation, and I say ongoing because I actually have tried to address uh, this conversation that exists in the L and the T community, or, well, I guess I should say LGBTQI community, for quite some time, and it's this conversation about Women born women and, and uh, you know, defining feminists. And obviously, women born women, um, it, it, it has like a very negative uh, connotation for me because it refers to women, you know, who are biologically born women, which then excludes uh, an incredible amount of people in our community. And I just, you know, was talking to a friend of mine on the phone and, and there are so many conversations that we're having anyway regarding gender and trying to even explain the the basic definition of gender ident- identity and and ha- to have people here in this country stop being so hateful and ignorant and discriminating it's it's uh the, the existing conversations that are happening within our own community is making it very hard for us to continue fighting against discrimination. So, we are welcoming our good friend Autumn Sandine who has uh, who's a writer for Trans Advocate and also the San Diego LGBT Weekly. Autumn, Autumn, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh,
0: it's great to be here.
3: So, I, you know, kind of opened up with like a personal thought regarding the those, you know, very uh, I think violent and vitriolic conversations about Women um, who are using this term women born women or, or needing spaces for only women born women. Um, you and I are connecting this morning because of an article that has been written and people are talking about it. And that is Milwaukee Pride or the Pride Parade celebration uh, has rescinded, you know, a, a grand marshal award for a woman by the name of uh, Miriam Ben Shalom. Um, and they rescinded that because of the fact that on her Facebook page there it appeared to be some anti-trans uh, sentiments. Can you talk to us about you know the background of this this article and I want to have a brief discussion about it?
0: Well, sure. First of all, uh, Miriam Ben Shalom is somebody that back in 2010, uh, in November of that year, I went to the White House fence with over a repeal of uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell. We ended up um, both with GetEqual Equal, going and doing um, a direct action, where we both went to jail, and you know it kept the, the issue in the news um, long enough for "Don't Ask, Don't Tell" to be repealed that following year. So this is not somebody I don't know and haven't done activism with. It's not somebody she hasn't met transgender people who have worked on an issue that is um you know, that was specifically for lesbian, gay, and bisexual people that didn't impact transgender people. Um, so it's so just so you know, I personally know her very well, or I knew her, you know, significantly well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um um, yes, a year or so ago, or a little less than a year ago, I saw her online, um, starting to make some statements that were specifically um, women, more women statements. And this this is a term that basically has been used, like in places like the Women Michigan Women's Music Festival and elsewhere. It, it, it's been coined as a way of saying that transgender women aren't women. It's code. It's kind of like there's different kinds of code words that different communities have to say, you know, you're not right. one of us. And right. this is this is code of saying there are women born women and there are women who were born men. And what they really are is still men because they're not women. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're not female, in other words. And this is, and Miriam is, Fallen into the crowd of, you know, what a lot of people are referring to as, you know, transgender exclusionary feminists. And um, it's just kind of sad. Here it was. I'm thinking that I had been with, uh, I went to the people, went and uh, did direct action activism with somebody I thought was, you know, I thought Get Equal. In fact, they actually were. Or they are a organization that prides themselves on radical inclusivity and here it was i went and did activism with somebody who was not radically inclusive Um, Uh, interesting now here it was um i don't know if i answered really that question on her but she's definitely somebody who has kind of fallen into the crowd and the gallus mag linda Shenko, the person who writes uh under that pin name Gallus Mang, she's a longtime transgender exclusionary radical feminist or TERF who they like to refer to themselves as gender critical. And they believe that transgender people are living a lie. That under their what they call gender critical feminism believe that, you know, you know, it's hard to describe it as any way other than saying they believe biology is destiny, that, you know, sex is determined at birth and that, you know, that your sex defines who you are. Mm-hmm. So a transgender person, you know, gender is a social construct and therefore gender, if you say you have a gender identity, that's a meaningless statement. So these folks do not believe P people really exist. In fact, they describe sort of, you know, an older way of saying transgender people that we would use was, like, male to female or female to male, and they call it, you know, male to transgender or male mm-hmm. to transsexual. So, they, you're trying to erase the transgender experience that way by saying you're transitioning to trans uh, to uh, transgender, not transitioning to, you know, your... Uh, you know your true identity. So it, it's just one of those kind of horrible awful things. I hope I really answered the question. They, they kind of meandered off there. No,
3: no, no, no. I and uh and thank you for that. I mean, cuz it cause it it's it is actually very difficult to explain um this conversation that is happening within our own community. But I think you got it. You got it right as in it is sad. I mean, here's this woman, uh, you know, who has a long extensive you know rap sheet if you will of like awesome accolades in terms of her work uh and in representing lgbt um especially you know having served in the the army having she's a lesbian and gay rights activist to a lot of historians um we don't want to take that away from her but then at the same time to have this belief uh, this is a really difficult place to to be in and that belief of of not including trans women as women.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the real sad thing because when they actually start listing off her accomplishments in the piece that you're recommending from the the Gender Trender blog, that's a real list of real accomplishments. And, you know, you don't want to take it away from her, but at the same time, we have people in our community that, you know, have real accomplishments and then they come up with these things, you know, and then... They have this mixed history that, you know, you actually have to own with them. It's it's kind of like there's other feminist icons, Um, you know, like Mary Daly, who has this wonderful feminist iconic history. But she called transgender people Frankensteinian, you know, in the way that we live. So she's always going to have that little bit of a stain on that wonderful, iconic history. You know, so do we always, you know, it, it is something where it's, you know, it's an erasure of people. And, and, and in this case, it's trying to erase an entire community by saying, you don't really exist. Your experience is not real experience. Your experience is a complete and total lie. Mm-hmm. And so the next step is, I mean, we have people in this. You know, ever-shrinking pool of lesbian community, and, and let's not, you know, let's not say this is only among lesbians, but, you know, we're speaking here specifically of this uh, radical, you know, in this conversation only about the lesbian, um, the radical lesbian section or a small segment in this uh, lesbian community, but this is not limited to this, that community Mm -hmm. Um, at all. But just in this context, it's just a shrinking pool of people in this small segment of community, and they're shrinking. I mean, it's not like it's growing. They're kind of aging out, but they're still there. They still have a loud voice, and they have, sadly, on this particular subject, they have so much in common with the religious right in how they perceive us. How uh, the the language they use and their end goals is just—it's frightening and it's sad.
3: Right, you know, I—I I, like I said earlier, I tried to tackle—I don't even know if "tackle" is the right word, but I tried to—I tried to have a try to understand what's going on here, and I um, I still am confused. Like I don't understand what the big argument is. Why argue? Why hurt? an already marginalized community within our own community. When we have, you know, bigger fish to fry, we have a common enemy that's, that's winning, you know, and and winning as in terms of passing legislation that discriminates against, I mean, pretty much all of us. Why not turn our attention, and, you know, and unite and and work on something bigger? I'm trying to understand why these women... Are just so hateful and so discriminating against trans women.
0: Well, I mean, it's trying to understand bigotry. Oh. I mean, it really is trying to understand bigotry. It's trying to understand you know, a lot of folk look at us and say, we're not who we say we are. And that kind of desire you know, that kind of feeling of looking at us and say, you are not one of us. So, you know, it's that, you know, as Bayard Rustin described in his, um, oh, his essay from Montgomery to Stonewall, you know, it's, you know, it's the, the we, them, how do you say it? Or the we, they differential. Um, it's, you know, we are like this and they are like that. Mm-hmm. And when they look at us, they you know they're saying, "We are like this, they are like that, so as long as they can push off and say that they you know you know things that you wouldn't say, you wouldn't say blacks are like this, but we are like that at this point in time. You wouldn't feel comfortable saying that in broader society or Jews are like this, or sure, women are like this or you know, any number of groups. People aren't these days. I mean, we're seeing this in broader society where now we're seeing it. They're quite comfortable in saying transgender people are like this, but we are like that.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I I always (laughs) often wonder how it is that people who are not transgender, um, you know, speak from that place of saying transgender people are like this or like that, but they are not transgender. So how would they know i mean i don't know um anyway i got to take a quick break but when we come back i want to continue our conversation is that okay sure the michelle miao show continues right after this don't go away You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at progressivevoices.com.
1: Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family.
0: G R E C A R E dot com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community.
2: And now back to the Michelle Meow Show.
3: Welcome back. Happy Tuesday, or I should say gloomy Tuesday, because we missed John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. There are no tacos on this Tuesday, <laughs> but that's okay. We have an awesome special guest. Our special guest is Autumn Sandine, who writes for the San Diego LGBT Weekly, as well as Trans Advocate. Um, so happy to have Autumn here with us in having this very difficult discussion regarding regarding our own community, really you know, the LGBTQI and, uh, and, and that a certain group or yeah, a certain group of women in the LGBTQI community, I have no other way to say it other than are discriminating against transgender women in calling for women only women spaces. Um, you know, Autumn, I wanted to, to bring up the fact that although they may seem like small in, in, in numbers, I mean, if you, even look at the LGBTQ community compared to the entire population of the, the world we're still considered small. Um, and, and so, you know, these women who are uh, radical, uh, they're, they're even smaller, but their voices seem to be pretty big online. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, what do you think, why are they so successful in being able to, to be vocal online? Well, I think
0: there's a couple of reasons. It's just online, for one, they've... You know, everybody online seems outsized. Um, What we find online is, especially now with Twitter and Facebook and all kinds of social media, it seems like, you know, I I don't want to call them all trolls, but we know that trolls and other people seem to have outsized voices. A little... You know, if you have a small group of people, they can seem larger than they are just by making a lot of noise over and over and over again. And, you know, you don't even have to be public with your name. You can be quite anonymous doing what you're doing and sock puppetry and all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you can look bigger than you are. But the other thing is is that um, there's actual cross-referencing between the two groups now of, um, oh, the trans-exclusionary radical feminists or gender-critical feminists, depending on how you want to refer to them, and um, um, the religious rights social conservatives. I mean, if you look at the Family Research Council's white paper on transgender people, it references people like... um, Sheila Jeffries and, um, Janice Raymond, and, Mm -hmm. um, you you turn around the other way and Sheila Jeffries in her book, Gender Hurts, references ex-transgender activist, uh, Walter Heyer. Um, they're talking to each other and referencing each other and, you know, they're using each other. In fact, there was recently a, uh, video produced by a um you know a uh, anonymous transgender or excuse me a a, a turf and it was posted all over um a whole bunch of washington state uh sites and illinois family association or illinois family institute um, being used for their initiative and Efforts to uh, again repress transgender people, so they're actually amplifying their, each other's voices. So, and that's another way that they're getting their each other's voices amplified by um, by uniting on their common goals: mm-hmm. the the religious right and the, you know the gender critical feminists.
3: Here's here's like something, you know, cuz again like a few years ago I tried to have this conversation and and still even reading about it till this day I'm still confused as to why we're even even having these arguments. They're they're so painful, so hurtful and I think the right word I want to use is dangerous. Um it's like we're at, finally at this place where there's trans visibility in the general media, mainstream media and some, you know, uh, positive trans visibility and, and some networks are even doing specials and, and all this stuff that we've always wanted them to do. And having like this conversation within our own community and then it's like separating and segregating our efforts to be united. Um, I just, I just find, you know, the, this, this radical part of our community to be so dangerous. At the same time, it's like, why can't they have their own spaces? I mean, I would never walk into a space where someone said, "This is for women, born women only," because that's not what I believe in. I mean, should should they be able to to have their own
0: spaces? Well, well, term misunderstanding at all. This this is not. Um, see, they want to include women under. Um, whether you want, well, whether women want to be included in this women born women designation of female spaces, they want to assume that these women's spaces, you know, that it's inherently exclusive unless specifically is inclusive in the first place. They have the same goals as the religious right. This this really isn't a discussion, (laughs) a conversation that they're really wanting to have. This you know when I talk about erasure, this this really is erasure because what they really want is the same thing the religious right wants. They want us to be eradicated. They want you know the discussion really comes down to like they want us either to be converted, cured. Um, back in the closet, kind um, of incarcerated or killed. Mm-hmm. You know, and killed is either as in the state or killing us, murdered, or we taking our own lives. And when I talk about converted, I mean either converted to taking the position. You know, if it's on the faith side, converted to accepting. A type of faith that you know, where we believe that we're no longer, you know, need this, and we pray away the the thing that makes us trans or gay or lesbian or bisexual. In the case of the, um, you know, the uh, third side of things is we accept gender critical feminism as our faith, and that cures us of this belief that we have a gender identity. In their case, the faith is gender critical feminism, and the cure is um, some form of preparative therapy or some kind of faith based thing. And again, they're actually starting to talk about detransition logs, or uh, they're highlighting each other's, or the the first are highlighting detransition blogs and talking about therapy that's. um, conducive towards um, people detransitioning, and mm-hmm. finding and talking to parents about not letting their children transition, and <laughs> things of uh. that nature. And then you're talking, you know, when we're talking about closets, you know, pushing transgender people into a closet where you no longer have space that's safe for transgender people to be out, because. You know, if we have no women's spaces where transgender people, transgender women especially, because this is really aimed at transgender women, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then, of course, for transgender men, you know, again, we don't want to talk about gender non-binary people because, you know, they don't count as always, right? right. we always have to fit in the binary, but gender, uh, you know, transgender men are just sad people who, on that end who, you know, don't realize they're just butch lesbians, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but transgender women, we want to, you know, push in the closet because we don't want them welcome in women's spaces. So if we just treat them as men in dresses, you know, we will, you know, eventually they will, you know, join one of these detransitioning movements and, you know, convert back to men and join some kind of, you know, group therapy. Will they be welcomed back into manhood? Right, and then of course, you know, now they're applauding all of these efforts that you know, all of these legal efforts that the religious right are winning in all these states. You know, I mean, on the gender gender, excuse me, gender trender blog, mm-hmm. they're actually you know, cheering on these um, legal victories. You know, where transgender people are actually, you know, when these laws are coming into a place where uh, transgender people are uh, being, you know, discriminated against in schools and such. So, and, you know, I haven't seen them say that they're for incarceration, but, you know, that is the next step. I mean, this is what we're talking about now in that, in Oxford, um, Alabama, and, those two cities in Texas now, or those two small towns in Texas. We're now talking about incarcerating as a way to, you know, basically deny, to erase transgender people. You know, because it has nothing, of course, to do with whether or not transgender people are actually, you know, predators or whether they actually let predators, you know. You know, I don't understand why you would... uh, you know, discriminating against an entire class of people based on a belief that people will pretend to be that class of people and engage in inappropriate behavior? I mean, would you discriminate against, you know, a whole, you know, people based on race these days because you thought they would engage in inappropriate behavior? I mean, if you were going to do that, why wouldn't you pick Boy Scout leaders or priests? I mean, you're more likely to have those folks engage in inappropriate, <laughs> predatory behavior than you would transgender people, but somehow, I mean, you're saying that these that transgender people are more likely to have people pretend to be... Anyway.
3: No, uh, no, no, no. But, no. Needless, I... say,
0: but uh, needless to say, they're saying that people are going to pretend to be transgender people Therefore, we're dangerous. Or now they're saying transgender people are ourselves. But the real goal here, I mean, even when you go into a school setting, these things are talking about, they're trying to basically say, we're not going to recognize your gender identity because we want you to convert, to be cured, to go back in the closet. And in some of these states, we want to fine you or incarcerate you if you use the wrong bathroom in your school. You know, so right. this is, and then, of course, we all know that the next result of these things is, you know, when I say they want to kill you, the next result is, you know, in our country, we're not going to kill you by law now, but we will push you to suicide. We've already shown that. I mean, what was the, sto- uh, gosh, it was just a story that came out. I forget which organization did the study, but um, so it just came out this week. But um, it just came out that they crunched the data on the 2009 studies and they found that there was a higher suicide rate among uh, trans people who were denied proper use of proper bathrooms. So, you know, yeah. again, I'm going all in circles on this, but, again, the TERFs and the religious right have the same goals. And it's, again, just same thing. Convert, cure closet, incarcerate or kill us,
3: and that's and that's the, the whole reason why I wanted to bring you on the program <laughs> and and it because it just as much as I feel you know confused by it at all and and none of you know the arguments that uh, the group is presenting is really making any sense other than they want to exclude and that they're discriminate discriminating against trans people. Um, and and then my third point is that you know their rhetoric, the their the you know everything they're saying is is very dangerous. It's dangerous to our movement because we've made so much progress. And uh, you know and thank you so much for giving us your thoughts and yeah, for helping I, us. I last,
0: yeah, I would just agree with you though. This is hardly a discussion. It's not helpful. But you know if you're trying to erase people. You know, and they say, we just want to have a conversation. We just want to have a discussion. It's not a discussion if the end goal is we don't consider you, you know, our end goal is not to have you, you know, as you are. So.
3: Right. right, Yeah, there's, yes, you're exactly right. Well, Autumn, thank you so much for spending time with us this afternoon and uh, wish you well and come back whenever you want to. Okay, I will. All right. Thanks, Autumn. Thank you. The show continues right after this. Don't go away.
2: Hi, I'm Chuck Spence. I'm the owner of the Maui Sunseeker LGBT Resort, and I'm also vice president of Maui Pride. It's not just the only LGBT resort in Maui, it's the only LGBT resort in all of Hawaii, which is really kind of amazing. Maui Sunseeker actually started years and years before I even got involved. I came along as one of the owners a little bit later in in life. I came to Maui back in 1978 and absolutely loved the island. I fell in love and I thought, this is where I want to live, this is where I want to be. And so from 1978 until 2008, I finally came alive with the dream and bought the Maui Sunseeker because I realized that this would be the next step in my life and um, thought that this would be an ideal situation because I could do something that, that was my own business rather than making money for other people. It's important to have a place where, you know, you can feel comfortable about yourself, you can feel loved, and you can feel welcomed by everybody. And I think that that's the ambiance that we try to create. And and that's the message that that we try to deliver in all of our ads and trying to bring people to Maui, is that, you know, we're not just an experience on Maui, we're an experience of Maui. When you think back years ago, how closeted we used to be, and, and you think about how suppressed we were back then to how open and accepting we are now and, and it's, it's a good progression for society. It's good that people are, are not just you know, tolerating but appreciating diversity and that's the message is that we really need to make sure that, that people appreciate diversity. I think that whoever you are, follow your passion, follow what you believe in, follow whether it leads you down a path of art or whether it leads you down a path of business or you know, some other aspect of internet creativity. Um, follow that and, and just be passionate about what you do. Spotlight on Success and Achievement is brought to you by Wells Fargo. Together, we'll go far. And now, back to the Michelle Miao Show.
3: Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Tuesday. Um, Gosh, wow. What a first half of the show without John, really. Um, Having that discussion, having the discussion of anything that excludes or discriminates within our own community is very, very difficult. You know, I kind of just put it all on the same plane as as if, yeah, I just put it all in the same plane or the same box as racism, sexism, all the isms that we're trying really hard to fight. And so, I don't know. I mean, in my mind, it's like uh, there are spaces in which I am very proud to be a, you know, yes, a woman. And I speak very loudly about being a woman, especially within my own family, but I feel like it, when it becomes hurtful, or I'm hurting someone, or I'm victimizing someone, or I'm making someone else an enemy, I think that that's when it's unhealthy. So if you think that I'm just clearly not understanding um, the conversation here that people are having about, uh, you know, feminism and how that applies to including or excluding the transgender women community please let me know and head to michellemiao.com the next interview i'm going to play is actually an old interview i did uh, years ago and that was when i tried to address in uh, this situation and tried to have a conversation about uh, you know the transgender exclusionary uh, radical feminist turfs <laughs> I had to think about that really quick and there was a woman by the name of Kathy Brennan um, and you know a lot of people know her or if you if you know the, the the phrase at all or if you've googled it then Kathy's name comes up and so I tried to have a conversation with her about it and trying to understand where it is that she was coming from so let's take a listen to that interview. It's World Radio, your A through Z, covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. I'm Michelle Miao, your host. So last weekend, I took the weekend off and played some of uh, some of the most, uh, I guess, effective interviews that I've ever done in the past year. And when I say effective, it, it ignited a response. So one of those interviews was with Kathy Brennan, a feminist in which many of you who are trans activists or or transgender supportive did not agree with everything that Kathy had to say. and, And in fact wrote to us many times and angry with us for speaking with her, which I think that it would, it would probably make sense to bring her back on to address some of these hateful things, by the way, that I think that people are writing. I think it's one thing to give us your opinion, but it's another to be hateful. So we're welcoming back Kathy. Kathy, welcome to Swirl.
1: Thank you so much, Michelle. Good to be back.
3: Yeah. So, you know, you know you've know, you been on our show before, you know where I stand and, you know, obviously uh, I'll put it out there on the record. I mean, we are trans supportive. We're inclusive here on the show, but I absolutely also want to be able to provide that same inclusion or that, you know, type of openness to you to be able to speak your piece in your mind. But I, I came through a, an article actually on Bitch Magazine. It made, me, it made me hurt. And if I were to not do my homework and reach out to you, I would, this article, uh, you know, damned you. It spoke of you harassing transgender people to the point where they wanted to commit suicide. Some of them lost their jobs, that you, you know, were just being absolutely horrible to transgender women. So let's open up with that particular article because I know even the uh, author tried reaching out to you. Was this article just blown out of proportion, or is it true? Is, is it's it not
1: true? And Tina Vasquez should be ashamed and embarrassed that she put her name on that. The article, and I use that word very loosely, relies on accounts from transgender women, all of whom, with the exception of Autumn Sandine, have engaged in a campaign to harass lesbians in general, and me specifically, for speaking out on the issue of gender identity. And Tina actually knew that because I had provided her with background on those campaigns of harassment. She chose not to do it. And when I realized that her agenda was essentially to quote, damn me, I declined to participate. If you look at Tina's public persona, she's before she ever reached out to me, she's made blatantly biased comments against me. And, you know, if she's going to make a living as a reporter, I might suggest to her that she needs to learn the difference between political activism and just flat out ad hominem biased attacks. So, you know, I didn't read the article I have folks who did read the article and I I don't waste my time responding to the straw lesbian that has been created by the trans community because the reality is when you actually speak to me and what my positions are they're not what they are uh, construed to be by the trans community. So, so let's, um, let's
3: talk about your position. Let's get to it. I mean, you said it before on yeah. our show, but let's just for the record, if anybody's yeah. tuning in for the first time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this issue, you know, reignited in August of 2011 when another lawyer and I submitted a letter to the United Nations in response to a call from one of the commissions regarding the status of women. And we set out the conflict with the gender identity legislation that is being pushed by the GLBT organization. Specifically, that legislation relies on an overbroad definition of gender identity that overwrites protections based on sex. And there's two issues with that. One, and this is frankly the issue that matters more to me, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. this seems to get lost, but the very idea of gender identity is rooted in the notion that sexist stereotypes about men and women um, are natural. Like, you know, women are naturally more nurturing. You know, that's a stereotype. Mm -hmm. There's no gene that makes women more nurturing. But because these stereotypes are so deeply ingrained in our culture, we believe them. And gender identity, rather than challenging that, really reifies it and says that, you know, gender identity means a gender-related identity regardless of your sex at birth. So it's connecting those stereotyped characteristics to sex. So as a feminist, I have a problem with that. The other issue that is the issue that has a lot more traction is the issue of trans women inclusion in sex-segregated spaces. And the the space that comes up most frequently is is bathrooms. You know, everyone's like, bathrooms, this, bathrooms, that. Quite frankly, and for me personally, I don't care about bathrooms. The space that is of more concern to me is space where you have women who are already vulnerable. So, for example, rape crisis shelters, homeless shelters, prisons. These are women who, you know, if we were to apply intersectionality to analyze their oppression, they are doubly and sometimes triply oppressed. And they're being asked to bear the brunt of transgender women inclusion in sex-segregated spaces. This has specific negative consequences to women. So, for example, there was a case recently in Toronto, a man named Christopher Hambrook, who was able to gain access to two homeless shelters in Toronto, and he sexually assaulted women at the shelters. He was able to gain that access because he identified as a transgender woman, and they have an overbroad law that does not allow them to challenge him and say, well, are you actually diagnosed? Because it turns out he didn't have a diagnosis of gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder. But, you know, whether or not he had that, it doesn't matter under the Ontario law because the Ontario law is the very same overbroad law that we've been criticizing for the last three years.
3: Maybe that was an isolated incident or, you know, just one of. I wish I wish one, even if this is an isolated incident,
1: if you can take steps to prevent that harm happening to another woman and you don't take those steps. I say shame on you, and it would be very easy for GLBT organizations to amend their legislation to make sure that the protected class of trans people that they want to protect is who they want to protect. Like I said the last time I was on the show, mm-hmm. I don't know anyone who can magically transition just by saying, I transition. All of my trans friends, in order to transition, they need to get specific health care hormone treatment. Some of them have surgeries to help them in transitioning. And the standard that we proposed was tied to medical diagnosis and medical care. That's actually an objective standard that, you know, if you're going to want to say, I deserve to be in this space, I don't think it's unreasonable for women to push back and say, You know, what's your skin in the game? Prove, you know, what, what gives you the right to access the space? So I reject, you know, even if this was the only one, I would say that's one too many. But the reality is, is that this is not an isolated case. And we have identified dozens of cases where you've had trans women accessing spaces where you have vulnerable women and causing specific harm to those women. And that harm includes, you know, physical harm, but also emotional harm, which it seems to me we're all very concerned in the GLBT community about the emotional harm experienced by trans women. There hasn't been minute one devoted to the fact that women are harmed when we are asked to accommodate people who say that they're female when they're not actually female. And, you know, for example... You have cases, and there was one case in Canada in particular, where they declined a trans woman as a volunteer at a rape crisis shelter because they were of the belief that women might not want to talk to someone who was male at birth about their rape. And I don't think that's unreasonable.
3: Michelle Mial would swear we're speaking with Kathy Brennan. We are revisiting a conversation that we had in Kathy's position regarding transgender women. Last night, I went to dinner with a uh, transgender friend of mine who's trans male. And before transitioning, he was, you know, identified as a lesbian. And so that those group of friends, the lesbians that he associated with and were friends with by the time he finished with his transition had somewhat abandoned him because you know, he he's male. And so entering, say, lesbian night or a women's night at a uh, at a club, people didn't want, you know, men there because they it's it's lesbian only. I would
1: also think he wouldn't want to go. Right. Like he identifies as a man now. So why would he want to be in that space?
3: It's hard because I I felt for him, though, I guess the segregation is is kind of where, where I'm going and how lonely that it could feel for him. And, and you know, whatever it is that he identifies with as far as like the partners that he wants to be with now, I, I just am at a place where it's like, I get the safety part in your argument, but why is it so hard? And this is not a question directed specifically for you, but kind of in general, as far as the LGBT community goes, why we can't just be inclusive. Is it impossible? Is it? Do we need to just kind of respect one another as uh, individuals and stop trying to be this community?
1: You know, I think you raise a really good point. And the reality is, is that the GLBT community is premised on the idea that we are all connected by something. And for GLB, that thing is, you know, sexual attraction to members of the same sex. There is no necessarily connection to the T unless you consider that GLBs are also gender nonconforming, and many of us are. However, that falls apart when then you know transgender activists throw around this term cisgender to describe, you know, oh well, you are your your gender is aligned with your sex at birth. That's an absurd concept, and it's also sadistic. Um, particularly to gender nonconforming gay and lesbian people, you know, I am not comfortable with my quote assigned gender. Like I'm a dyke, and I, I like I'm routinely misgendered, to use that word. And it's to me sadistic to have to endure, you know, and to watch that conversation unfold to to women who are, have been gender nonconforming our whole lives to now be told, oh, well, you're actually cisgender and your oppression isn't real and, in fact, you're oppressing us. The effect of transgender as a concept is to erase women's oppression. And you can't actually do that um, and 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 end oppression. You can't just say, well, you weren't actually oppressed and all those things that happen to you because you're female is actually some sort of cis-privilege. I mean, you can try, and the GLBT community certainly is trying. They're giving it a good, you know, this is their number one agenda item now that we have marriage and we have the right to fight in wars. But what you're seeing now is deep resistance to this concept because many, many women and gay men know that this is false. It's just not true. And you're seeing more and more conversations where people are like, you know what? Like, we want to be supportive. Heck, I was supportive um, and still am supportive in many ways. But at some point, we don't actually exist to affirm other people at our expense. And so the idea of inclusion, you might as well say to um, black folks, hey, you don't have the right to, to take separate space either, you know, because we should all just be inclusive. I would suggest that if you said that, you would be a massive racist. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and in, and insensitive. Well, when you but put it no that one, way. <laughs> when you no put one, it that but way. But no one says that to Like, women are expected all the time to accommodate. And for your trans friends, and I have tons of trans man friends, and I have many disagreements with them, I would simply say, if you're identifying as a man, then you might want to explore why you still think you should be in lesbian space. And if you think that you should still be in lesbian space, Maybe you should reconsider your decision because lesbians have a right to establish boundaries, just like any other discrete group does. And I think that if inclusion is coming at the price of what with, you know, that you're beating people with a hammer, that's not what inclusion means. <laughs> that That's something else.
3: So um, if we could, you know, get back to this article really quick, I've had some time to glance over my notes before. This article is really horrible, and they cite certain things that you have done to transgender people. Well,
1: first I would say the things I have done, according to people who have actually engaged in campaigns of harassment against me. So, you know, honestly, I could care less what Bitch Media writes. It's a fringe feminist publication, you know, and and it's not something that actually impacts the broader discussion if you read that article and then you read the comments to the article I can assure you that people aren't reading that coming away thinking I am a villain they're coming away thinking that this is toxic sludge and there's something deeply disturbed in the trans community
3: so you're not Um, you're not sitting there and you know trolling the uh, websites looking for transgender women to harass
1: no I'll tell you what's happening Women are having these conversations both in real life and online, and we are constantly being told we can't have these conversations. And, you know, I've had trans women, you know, chase me over different social media platforms. I'm perfectly happy if someone is like, I think you're wrong. And I'm like, I think you're wrong. Let's stop talking. Like, I don't feel the need to beat my head against the wall, but the aggressive nature of trans women activism, they always act surprised when I push back on that. Like, if someone's going to get in my face, it's not my job to let them get in my face. I know gender socialization expects that I'm not going to push back because I'm a woman, but I'm a gender nonconforming woman, and I'm a dyke, so Mm -hmm. maybe don't count on that. Mm
3: -hmm. The
1: other thing I would say is that transgender women might learn to stop trying to intimidate women. Oh, if well that, disag- that's an interesting if statement. Some- if someone disagrees with you, it doesn't make the person disagreeing with you hateful or a bigot or a Nazi or a fascist or Fred Phelps. And these are all slurs that are used repeatedly by trans women against women and lesbians in particular. I don't play that. If you step to me, you, you, I will push back on it. So that's why you have these trans women who then are like, oh, I'm so hurt and victimized. At least one of the trans women in that article had published false information about the fact that I had been raped, and I complained to their employer about that. So I can tell you that regular people, when I tell them what actually happened, they're not thinking I'm unreasonable. They're thinking that person is disgusting.
3: I don't think you're unreasonable at all. And again, here at Swirl, we've heard worse. We've heard, you know, from people who have told us to get off the air and go die. I mean, I think that, yeah. you know, dialogue I mean, I, just needs to happen. What I'm trying to get at, though, is the, uh, I, I mean, you, you said it. If anybody has read this article, then it's complete, you know, just a name smear is what it is. They're just garbage. character smearing it's you.
1: It's garbage. And, you know, like I've had people ask me, like, oh, are you going to sue? Why bother? I mean, it's so ridiculous and over the top, and it just makes Tina Vasquez look incompetent at best. That that article has done more for the the, the positions I'm pushing than anything I have ever done. I just want to I just want to people- put it on the
3: the record for our listeners, though. You know who wrote in and and probably more than likely didn't listen to the entire interview, but just heard the name and know from other transgender female activists of the, you know, things that you allegedly have done that you do not promote violence against any of these women. You do, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't actually want transgender women to be uh, physically hurt or. And that's, and that's
1: disgusting. And I'll tell you, You know, that in the last few days, women activists have ratcheted that up. Someone even forged a comment on a blog post saying that I wanted that to happen. And again, they are demonstrating the lengths that they will go to to lie in order to get me to stop talking. And the more that they do that, the more that people are waking up because I don't think those things. I've never said those things. I have a 20-year record in Maryland of working on various issues, and people know me, and it's just absurd. So they can keep talking on their blogs, liberal feminist blogs. It doesn't matter. You know, this is a larger community conversation at this point, and they are not my target audience for many reasons. You know, there's many things about the GLBT community I have a problem with. So, you know, if people in the GLBT community think, I don't really care what they think of me because I don't think much of it.
3: The thing is, you can't always believe what you hear or read in the Internet. But these trans activists who are highly regarded, by the way, though, in the LGBT community and the movement as credible activists, they're hurt. And as you said it before, and they're offended. And when you look at transgender equality and when we talk about, you know, it's America and everybody should have an equal right or opportunity. Don't you at least agree with that? Everybody should have the same rights. Who who are you talking about specifically? Just to note a couple, and this would have to be mainstream media who's now made the, these you know women n- notable names, such as Laverne Cox, um, Janet Mock. Um, you know, I mean, I even okay. think... Okay,
1: I, well, I just want to be clear that we're not talking about, you know, the people in the bitch article. No. I would say this. I would say this about that. I have set forth the compromise that I support in the in the letter to the United Nations, and rights gained should not be at the expense of another oppressed group. And never in the history, if we include the gay rights movement and the trans rights movement in the broader civil rights movement, which is in and of itself questionable, but let's just say it's like you know part of this larger movement, there has never been another demand that rights should come for one oppressed group at the expense of another oppressed group. This, this is the first time that this has happened. So women are an oppressed group, and we are being asked to compromise our rights to accommodate another oppressed group. What I would ask is why that is
3: fair. Kathy, thanks so much for joining us here on swirl and taking the time out and uh, addressing uh, this, this article and, and clearing Thank it up you. for our listeners. And for those of you who have written to us, angry, 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 I encourage you to really hear, uh, you know, Kathy out. There's always two sides to the story and you can make up your own mind. And again, here at swirl, that's what it's all about. Um, and learning from one another. So Kathy, take care of yourself and uh, hopefully we'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much, Michelle. I really appreciate it. You take care.
0: Bye. <laughs>